Guys, welcome back to the gathering. I uh, wanted to kick off uh, tonight just really quick with, with one announcement. Um, if you've been with us for a little while, you know that we take May and August and December off. Uh, we don't meet during those months, but we're going to meet in May. So we're, just put it on your calendar, Tuesday night in May, 7 o'clock, right back here. We're going to continue to push on through and continue to gather together through the month of May during this season. So uh, excited to let you guys know about that. What I'm also excited to tell you is a little story. Um, you know, being a dad, I've got a lot of stories. When, when I was single, I had a lot of good stories from my life. Now I get to have a lot of good stories from my kid's life. And one of my favorite stories uh, is watch, well, a lot of my favorite stories are watching the, their little personalities develop. Um, you know, they, they go from a little baby that is just totally helpless to crawling, to trying to talk, to talking. But then you start to see their personality come out around age three. You start to see some things. And uh, my, my first son, Will, one of the, the, the most vivid and fond memories I have of him when he was about four years old um, was he loved what he affectionately called his, his action pants, right? Like his pants, like his action pants. And if, uh, let me describe them to you. They're, they're, they're the kind of sweatpants. They're not really sweatpants. They're kind of that t-shirt material on the inside, but on the outside, it's kind of that synthetic fabric that goes when you run. And so he would hear that sound and that translated to him, these are my action pants. And so he would always want to wear his action pants. And we probably went through like 10 to 12 pairs of action pants because the knees would, I mean, he, we had a hardwood floor and he would go run and he would slide on his knees and his action pants. Because when we had those action pants on, something switched in his head. Like what he never did in his action pants was sit still. He never played with Legos. He never took a nap. He never wanted to read a book. He wanted to be on the move because he was a man of action because he had on his action pants. And so he would run everywhere he went with his pants on because he'd hear the and he just felt like he was flying. He would jump on stuff. He'd do parkour before it was ever a thing. Like he was just all over the place, all because of his action pants. And I think the reason I tell you that story is because we have a faith that's active. And but what I fear though, and what I see in my own life and what I see in, in, in the church is sometimes we, we, we put our faith in Jesus, but we stop short of the action that follows. You see, we treat our, 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 our Christianity, our faith like a transaction, like a deal, like we're making a deal with them. All right, I'll, I'll give you my life if you give me salvation. All right, thank you, we'll see you later in hopefully 70 years. Right, like, we, like it becomes a transactional thing. Or maybe we just go back to doing what we used to be doing because the transaction's over and now I'm bored. What do I do now? Or maybe it just gets hard. Following Christ becomes difficult because we start to see things in our life that need to change and it's hard to change. And so then our faith is characterized by passivity instead of purpose and apathy instead of action. You see, when Will would put on those action pants, the last thing on his mind was to be passive. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The Christianity is a call to action, not apathy. 
that Christianity, following Jesus, is not a passive endeavor. It's purposeful. It's not an apathetic endeavor. It is action-oriented. So if you have your Bibles tonight, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 13, so go ahead and turn there. As you get there, we're going to, I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of a, a catch-up. Because last week we, 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 uh, we finished with verse 9, and we're picking up with 13. But something very important happens in verses 10 through 12. You see, Peter's talking about this salvation that we have, this inheritance as followers of Christ. And he takes like this hard left turn. And he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke about this. And he goes Old Testament on us all of a sudden. Because the audience that would have been listening to him would have known these stories, especially those who were Jewish. And what he said was all those prof the prophets of the Old Testament, all that they wrote and all that they spoke was pointing, a big neon arrow pointing to Jesus. That all of those stories are pointing to Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, one of my favorite moments, and I even wonder if this moment for the disciples was the moment that their faith in Christ not only was solidified but became active where they held on to it with reckless abandon. Because in Luke 24, it's on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking with his disciples after he's been resurrected, right? He, they, they saw him die on the cross. He rose again, and now he's walking with them on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking about, like, what happened? Jesus was the Messiah, and they were, they were trying to put the pieces together. And Jesus says this. He said, it says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures, the Old Testament, the prophets, concerning himself. Man, I would have loved to be that part of that conversation. Where Jesus, the Messiah, explained the Old Testament to his boys. He pointed out every part of the Old Testament. You see, every story points to him. And so here we arrive at verse 13. Let me, let's read. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, see, wait, stop. When you see a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? It's there, he says, therefore, because you have been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. Be, therefore, because of all these things, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners or exiles here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. 
And so your faith and hope are in God. My first point tonight is that Christianity is a call to action by setting our hope. By setting our hope, verse 13, therefore, because of what you've just heard, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You remember, let's remember, Peter's writing to a group of people who are suffering, people who are being persecuted, people are there, that are in, in a season, in a moment in history where it's not easy to be a Christian. Everything they believe goes against the culture. And I think Peter's writing this because he knows in times of suffering, in times of difficulty, or the total opposite, in times of comfort and pleasure, right? Whether it's suffering or difficulty or trials or pleasure and comfort and convenience, we start asking ourselves, is it really worth it? Is it really worth all the suffering? Is it really worth disturbing my comfort to follow Jesus? Is it really worth not having? Is it worth giving up? And I think Peter's writing them here because he knows in these moments our mind starts to wander because our mind matters. What we think and what we believe matters. And we're going to see that through tonight's talk. Set your hope fully, not partially, not a little bit, but fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Side note, if you've noticed, if you're memorizing, doing the M&M challenge with us, there's a lot about revealing, when Jesus Christ is revealed, when your salvation is revealed. Been an interesting study to do, but not for tonight. So not even in suffering, but distraction, or pleasure, or comfort. Well, we asked this question last week. If I just had blank, I'd be happy. You see, what we do is we end up setting our minds on blank, on whatever we think, whatever we desire, whatever we want and believe will make us happy. That's what we set our mind on. That's what we set our hope on. And we forget. We forget what is promised us in Jesus Christ. I was reading just this morning I find it ironic when, you're, when you're, your time in God's word lines up with what's already going on and what you're going to speak on in Judges 8, 34. The Israelites were following Gideon. He was the leader of the Israelites. He led them to many victories, and, and he dies. And it says this in Judges 8, 34. Gideon has died, and they forgot the Lord their God, who had rescued them from all their enemies surrounding them. You see, I think Peter knows that suffering and difficulty are a catalyst to forgetting the Lord our God. That when we find ourselves in a circumstance or a situation that isn't comfortable, it's not what we had planned, that we quickly forget, just like, the, like this is a humanity thing. I'm not ripping on the Israelites. This is us. This is me. We forget. But notice as Peter writes to the church's scattered about, that, the, that how these believers live now and function now is determined by what they know about the future, right? Their future determines the now. 
right? Well, like we live in a world where like, well, what you do now will determine your future. Biblically, what he's saying is, listen, your future dictates now. So I, as the young adult pastor at Crossings, I, I get the privilege and honor of doing a lot of weddings. And, uh, you know, I, I sit down with the couple and, and they tell me their story and, and how he proposed and it's all wonderful. They show me pictures and, and we kind of get, we kind of get the, the whole picture. But here's what I've noticed is that no couple gets engaged and then steps back and says, well, great. It's all done. We're good. We don't need to do anything. No, they do the exact opposite, right? They get engaged and it's go time, right? Like some, some of us, some of you watching tonight, like you have a list of when that day comes, here's what I'm gonna do first and then second, then third and fourth, like, right? Like we, we start preparing, we start planning, we start making reservations, we start calling our friends, hey, will you be in our wedding? They start taking pictures and they take more pictures and they post those pictures and then a week later they post more pictures. Okay, you get the point. When they get engaged, they set a date, and that date moves them to action. They're like, all right, let's go. We got a date. We got some stuff to do. And what Peter's saying here is we've got some stuff to do. So while you do that, set your hope on the grace of Jesus Christ. Right? Let this day determine this day. And let this day determine this day and this day and this day and this day. Because this day is coming. When the grace of Jesus is revealed. Right, and what I love about this is Paul, in his letters, refers to the church as the bride of Christ. That Jesus is the groom and he will come back for his bride. You see, we have a wedding date. And our role as Christians is to be men and women of action, preparing this day and this day and this day for this day. You see, the Christian life is a call to action. And Peter is calling us to set our hope on the promised grace to come, that we should live today with our minds focused on that day when Jesus Christ is revealed. How do we set our hope? Man, it's, it's all the disciplines. It's reading God's word consistently. It's praying consistently. It's being in biblical community and talking about our faith and sharpening each other and preparing for that day. My second point comes from verses 14 through 16. And as Christianity is a call to action by living set apart. Christianity is a call to action by living our lives set apart. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as you have but he, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy set apart in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Recognize how, how Peter re refers to them as obedient children, right? It's a flashback to your new birth. You've been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so not only do you have a new birth, you have a new family, which means a new activity. One theologian that I read this week said that this idea of, as he refers to as obedient children, means this, that it's children whose spirit is obedience. Their spirit is to obey. They want to obey. They're looking to obey. And he starts off with a negative, right? He's saying we should stop letting our sinful passions dominate us. Do not conform to the passions 
of your former ignorance, before you knew Jesus, before you knew of the inheritance, before you knew of the grace, before you knew of the forgiveness. Do not be conformed. I always think of Plato, not Plato the philosopher. Remember, I have five children, Plato. Right, that you can, you can make that look, wrap it around anything, and it conforms to whatever object you put in it. But we're not to conform to the passions of our former ignorance. So he says we should stop that, but then he moves to a positive note. He said, but we should be set apart from sin to God. Right, we're, we're, not, we're, we're not set just apart from something, we're set apart to someone. Right, the, 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 when we, let me, let me say it this way. You know those engaged couples I talked to you about? When they get engaged, and maybe hopefully a little bit before that, but for certain when they get engaged, guess what? They stop getting on Bumble. And they delete the apps, and they stop getting, shooting in the DMs. Like they, they stop, because now they are set apart from the dating pool for this one person. We're set apart. Not from, just, just to, for God just to be, hey, I'm gonna withhold things from you. No, we're, we're set apart from, to someone. Romans 6, 16. Paul writes, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You see, as Christians, we are called to action, to adopt some attitudes that will affect our activities, right? And we have an enemy, right? His name is Satan. And now that he knows that, that you've been set apart, right? You're no longer enslaved. You're no, no longer lost. You have been found. You're now set apart to God. Now that he knows you're not enslaved, what he wants to try and do is make you ineffective, right? By drawing you back to the former life. Yeah, you're set apart, but he wants to bring you back in. And guys, when we're, when we're in moments of difficulty, I, like, I know this from personal experience, when we're in the valleys of the shadows of death, it's easy to go back to what's familiar and what's comfortable and what's convenient. But good thing we serve and worship a God who is gracious and says, no, come on back, let's go. Let's confess, let's repent, let's turn back. You're set apart. Now, some of you may be saying, whoa, Andy, easy. Here we go. The list of rules and regulations. I can't do this anymore, and I can't say this anymore, and I can't watch this anymore. Man, I get it. But hear me out. This concept that Peter's writing about, that God speaks of, be holy as I am holy, be set apart as I am set apart, is not a foreign concept to us. Like, we literally do this all the time. Everything starts at the level of desire because you will only do what you desire to do. You see, our attitudes and our actions follow our desires. So like, there was a moment in time where I decided I needed to like coffee. I was a big Mountain Dew guy. I was a youth pastor. What else do you drink, right? But I realized I desired to be an adult. 
I desired that I, I probably need to be seen as an adult. I'm, I'm a little bit older now. I need to like coffee. I know it's a ridiculous thing, but that's what I decided. I'm like, I'm going to like coffee. I'm going to get rid of the Mountain Dew. I'm going to be an adult. Now, granted, my coffee when I started was mostly cream and some chocolate if I could find it. But my desire led my activity. And we do this at work. We do this when we work out. We want to be healthy or we want to look good. And so we, we sacrifice to do that. We want to be married so we enter the dating game. And it affects our activities and our attitudes. We've been set apart. And so now we have new instruction, a new life, a new birth, a new identity. It's a matter of desire. Right? Here's the problem we have. We've spent a lot of time forming these desires, the desires of the flesh, the desires of my insecurities, the desires of my fears. And so we have to retrain and reorient our affections to the things of God because we're a new family. It's time to reorient our affections. And right here, God is telling you how to do that, how to conform your desires to his. It's to obey. You start with obedience, right? Like, I don't like working out. I don't work out very often. I got some friends that are helping me get going, but I don't like it. But my desire to do it makes me do it. And eventually, you know what? I'm going to crave it. I'm going to enjoy it because it makes the way it makes me feel. We need to reorient our affection, but it starts with obedience. He says, as obedient children, the same word and concept we see in Romans 12 too. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God is, the good, pleasing, and perfect will. What this means practically is that if you set your hope on Jesus and not the things of this world, practically what this means is you will date differently. You will approach your entertainment choices differently. You will browse the internet differently. Work, gossip, conflict, time, money will look different because you're a follower of Jesus. You've been set apart. I don't think about money the same way the world does. I don't think about dating the same way the world does. I don't think about entertainment, right? We've been set apart to God. And so practically, we are going to look different. The Christian life is a call to action. And Peter is calling us to be set apart from the world and to God. Because that is what our Father in heaven has commanded us to do. Be holy as I am holy. Verse 17, 18, and 19 is my third point. Christianity is a call to action by living reverently. Christianity is a call to action by living reverently. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with reverent fear throughout the time of your exile, your, your, your life on earth. 
knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, to fear the Lord simply means having a right understanding of who God is and then responding accordingly. To fear the Lord means having a right understanding of who God is. Now, this verse is hard. It brings out some hard thoughts that go against our sensibilities. But we know what it looks like to live reverently. We are all very familiar with what it looks like to live fearfully and reverently. You see, in the Greek text, this word fear actually means terrified, to dread. It's not that healthy respect. It's fear. He says, conduct yourselves with reverent fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed. But we know what it's like to live reverently. We're doing it right now. We're doing it right now. COVID, COVID life is a life lived out of reverent fear for a virus that is destroying lives and killing people. And what it looks like to live reverently is to understand and respond accordingly. And that's what we've done. Whether you agree or not, I don't care. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when we reverently fear something, we turn our whole life upside down. Because we have a reverent fear of this virus, we have changed our schedules. Our kids are not in school. We're all working from home. Some of you have lost your jobs. Our whole economy has changed. Like we have made some hard, hard choices to live in reverent fear. What Peter is saying is, heck, if we can be reverently fearful of a virus that will be here today and gone tomorrow, how then should we live in light of God? Because this text tells us that he is both our father and the one who judges. And this is what I mean by the fact that this goes against our sensibilities. We love to sing songs about God as savior, God is good, he's a father, he gives good gifts, he is merciful and gracious. But the Bible says that he is a judge and that we will be judged. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves in reverent fear. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. Romans 14, 10, 11, and 12, Paul writes this, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. I don't care who you are. 
if the idea of standing alone before God Almighty does not strike fear to your heart, something's wrong. I want to try and come up with, a, with an example for this, and, and here's the best one. I talked to a friend, and he gave me a really good image. He said, Andy, especially for the Christian, because as a Christian, we're, right, the, the, the thoughts that come to our head automatically, well, Andy, what about Romans 8, 1? There's no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What about this new birth into a living hope? What, what about grace? What about mercy? Here's what he told me. I love this. And I've got one of these in my neighborhood, those big old power lines that go overhead. In our neighborhood, when we walk under those power lines, you can hear the electricity. And if you walk in a certain direction, the, the hair on your arm will stand up because of the static in the air. And it's terrifying to think about the power of that electricity running over our neighborhood. That if I were to touch it, I'd be toast. Right? Moses even said, God, let me see your face. And God said, no, if you see my face, you will die. Right? We're talking about the magnificence and the majesty and the omniscience of God. That standing before him alone is a terrifying, dreadful idea. And Peter's saying, live your life in reverent fear of God. Yes, Father, but also the one who judges but here's the crazy thing. As a Christian, as someone who has given their life to Christ, submitted to the authority of Jesus, we're covered by the blood of Christ. And so all those OG&E workers, they're still terrified of those power lines. But when they put on their gloves and they put on their equipment, they can touch the power lines. Are they still fearful of it? Absolutely. They understand the power of what's happening in front of them. But just as the Christian, we can still be fearfully reverent before the Lord in our life, yet be very hopeful because we are covered with Jesus's blood, the precious blood of Christ. The Christian life is a call to action. And Peter is calling us to live with reverent fear of God because he is, has lovingly set you free. Right? It says you have been ransomed by the blood of Christ. Like that word ransom means to be set free. You have been redeemed. That's our hope, is that we're not walking to God on our own. We're not standing there by ourselves. We're covered in the blood of Christ. And so when, as a Christian, when God sees you, he sees Jesus. But that doesn't mitigate the power and the majesty and the magnificence of who he is. And so we live out our, our life with reverent fear, knowing that we will have to give an account. So the Christian life is a call to action. And Peter is calling us to live with reverent fear of God because he has lovingly set you free from our enslavement to sin. So what do we do with this? I've got three questions or statements that I want to throw up onto the screen. And as we go into 120 seconds here in a minute, I would just ask you, I don't know, like I know at home it's, it's hard, there's distractions, you can turn me off, shut your laptop, to the t whatever. But I'm just going to ask you to just 
quiet yourself and for 120 seconds, two minutes, prayerfully contemplate these questions. Number one, what day are you living for? What day are you living for? Right, we talked about setting your hope that our future promise determines our days. I know a lot of us are probably waiting. We're living for the day that COVID's over. I can go over to my friend's house. We can go out to dinner. But seriously, when you step back from your life, what day are you living for? A day that will come and go? Or are you living for a day that will last forever? We're the bride of Christ. Jesus is our groom. We have a wedding date. Are we gonna live this day for that day? So what day are you living for? Number two, what does the way you are living say that you desire? What does the way you are living say about what you desire? Right, if we were to look at your social media, your checking account, your calendar, What do you desire? And maybe it's time to step into obedience and say, God, change my desire. Transform me. And it starts with just being obedient, being disciplined, and let that discipline turn into delight. But it starts with a step of obedience. For you, it may be just giving your life to Jesus for the first time, to trust and believe in Jesus. Maybe for others, it's getting some sin out of your life and confessing that to someone else. Maybe it's an unmet desire or expectation that you're living for, that if I would just have this thing, it would all be better. And then lastly, what area of your life do you need to move from apathy to action? What area of your life do you need to move from apathy? Maybe you've just given up Maybe you've lost hope that it will ever be different. But you need to move to action by setting your hope on the grace of Christ. Living set apart and living reverently. If something comes to mind, if this particular area of my life, maybe it's your dating life, maybe it's your thought life, maybe it's your online presence, whatever it is. All we do is we confess and we repent. When we're drawn back over to the things of our old identity and our old life, we just confess and we repent and we turn back to the the groom, the one we were set apart for. Right? And when we come back, we always repent. We turn back. God is gracious. So as we close tonight, those are the three questions I ask you to ponder. Guys, the Christian life is not one of apathy. It's one of action. It's not boring. It's exciting to see what God would have for us each day. Right? As we continually set our hope on the grace of Christ. That we would live today for tomorrow. That we would live in reverent fear of God. Knowing that that God has sent his son to cover us. And pay for our sin that his righteousness might be ours. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this text. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter. God, I love Peter. The one disciple 
that didn't want to suffer. The one disciple that rebuked you, Jesus, when you talked about the suffering of the Messiah is the one who's writing about how to suffer, how to endure. God, help us to endure. Help us to live a life today in light of one day when you are revealed, when Jesus Christ returns, that we would leave, live this day for that day, that we would be men and women of action, not apathy. We praise things in your name. Amen.